Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Good morning, Ute fans. Welcome on in. This is a special edition of the Crimson Corner podcast as well as the KSL Sportsfront page. I'm your host and Utes insider Trevor Allen, and I am pleased to be joined as we are making the rounds through the new Utah Utes coaching staff, Utah assistant coach Eric Peterson. Coach, how are you this morning? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Let's just kind of get uh, right right into it. You've uh, obviously moving from Logan to Salt Lake City, not that big of a move compared when you guys had to go from South Dakota yes. to Logan. Yep. How has it been moving from Logan to Salt Lake City? It's been super easy. I was telling somebody last night at one of our booster events, um, you know, when you move from South Dakota to Logan, you can't, I mean, that's not a drive, right? You got to get on a flight to get back home. And, you know, my wife came out one time to look at houses and then my kids, I don't even think they came out until July. So we were basically in Logan from April till July when my family moved. So that was hard. Um, but it's easy this time, you know, get, get, you leave early Monday morning to drive down here, beat the traffic, and then you leave Friday night and you're home on the weekends. So um, been a very, very easy transition. I want to go back all the way to the very start. You started coaching at Williston State, but yep. you didn't you didn't start working with Coach Smith until you got to South Dakota. How did you get that relationship with Craig Smith? Yeah, so my career started as an assistant coach at Williston State College. And just being in the state of North Dakota, we played Craig was at Mayville State and we would play their JV team just kind of as a tune-up game every single year, maybe early in our our season. And so I knew of Craig, you know, maybe met him once or twice at some recruiting events. And then um, I went to Minnesota State Moorhead, which was obviously a little bit closer to Mayville. Uh, Moorhead is attached to Fargo, basically on the border. And Mayville is probably an hour north of Fargo. So got a little bit closer to him. And then he actually took the job at Colorado State um, with Tim Miles. And then I went back after two years to Williston State as the head coach and athletic director there. And Craig ended up getting to Nebraska with Tim. And at the time, we had built that program at Williston to be a top 25 team in the country, Division One Junior College. And we had the number one junior college point guard in the country. His name was Trey Dickerson. And Craig was recruiting him at Nebraska. So Craig had come up several times. He'd come to several games. 
and just really got to know him just sitting down and talking with him. You know, uh, one of my mentors, Terry Olson and him were very good friends. And Terry was the head coach at Williston for 26 years. So I kind of got to meet Craig through him and just spend a lot of time with him. And, you know, when the, the South Dakota job opened up, Craig got it. He called me and just said, hey, would you be interested in this job? And I was I was very content um, with my job in Williston. We kind of built that thing. And at the end of the day, um, you know, just the opportunity to work with Craig and get better as a coach was the reason why I jumped on with him. I took a huge pay cut to do it, but, um, you know, I just really wanted to improve my craft as a basketball coach and get better. And, you know, once you meet Craig, you'll see his energy. Like it's hard not to want to be around a guy like that. So um, I jumped on with him at South Dakota. Obviously, we're there for four years, had uh, two really good years at the end. We got that thing built. And then um, Utah State the last three years. I want to go back to Utah State for a minute. You were the guy who brought in Nami Ishkeda. Um, and he, he was a guy who was very raw coming in from Portugal. But you were able to build him and mentor him and coach him into an NBA prospect. Just what was it like through that whole journey of and now seeing him enter the NBA draft? Yeah, I mean, I think back to, you know, three years ago, we had got hired um, and, you know, we, we didn't have any interior players. And that was a huge need for us. And one thing I did is, you know, we had recruited internationally a lot in the junior college level. And that was a huge key for us. And then we got to South Dakota and we didn't do it a ton. And, um, you know, talking to people at Utah State, they really wanted diversity and just said, hey, we can get those kids into school. It's an easy process. So we kind of opened the doors there. And, you know, I had hit up probably four or five guys that I knew overseas. And I said, hey, who are the top three or four players on your board right now that's, that still want to come to college? Because over there, it's a different market now. Um, there's a lot of pro teams offering them a lot of money to stay there. And, um, you know, I got that text back and there was one name on every single text message. And it was Namish. And so it was crazy. We actually had another Portuguese kid on our team named Diogo Brito and they didn't know each other and they knew of each other and had talked a little bit. And, you know, one of my biggest selling points to Nimi was you got a big brother here that's been through it that can help you adjust to the college game. So I actually went over there, um, met him and kind of saw where he lived and, you know, where he grew up. And this was in August and we had some academic stuff to figure out with him as well. So we got that done. Um, he got here a little bit late in August. So he didn't have that summer to work out with our team like most kids do. Like we'll start um, probably the first week of June with our guys here, right? So that's a huge advantage to get those guys on campus and work with them all summer. Well, Nimi got, I think, to school maybe a week late. And um, if you saw where he was that first workout, and part of it too was he came to elevation, you know, Lisbon, Portugal yeah. is sea level. Mm-hmm. So he gets, he flies in, he gets to elevation, he gets in late that night and he works out the next day. And our guys are kind of looking around like this dude, we're taking this dude. And um, Nimi, you know, I always tell people, I was in the gym a lot with Nimi, but Nimi made himself a pro. It, it takes a lot to show up every single day. You know, like some kids you coach, you have to say, hey, let's get in the gym or, hey, do you want to get in the gym today? where Nimi was just constantly, coach, you got film for me? Coach, can we shoot this morning at 7 a.m.? Coach, can we get in the gym after practice for 20 minutes? Um, So I tell people, like, he made himself a pro just by his work ethic. Um, I was just there just along the ride to kind of mentor him a little bit and just, you know, do the skill work with him. So the thing about him and a lot of international players is they – 
what we look for is a high basketball IQ and Nimi had it. So like he really understood the game. And when you have those things playing under coach Smith, you kind of just take off. Now, one of the things Nimi did was change his body a ton. And, um, you know, he came in probably the 215, 210 from Portugal. And if you looked at a picture of him when he first got on campus to where he's at now, he's 255 right now. Yeah. And he's, you know, probably a late first round draft pick. And I would say one of the biggest assets to Nimi was our strength coach, Logan Ogden. Yes, that's his real name, Logan Ogden. Yeah, uh, perfect Utah name. <laughs> and uh, we hired him here. So I think guys like, you know, Brendan Carlson will have a tremendous experience with, with Coach Ogden and Lahat and just even some of our guards that kind of need to reshape their bodies. Um, but Nimi's got an NBA body right now. Um, you know, I don't know if you know the whole story. He had a great freshman year, went to the Combine. I was there and, you know, we kind of got some feedback from the NBA guys and they thought maybe he shouldn't go to the combine because when you go to the combine, that's a lot of people's first impression of you. Right. So they see you the first time. And if you're not ready, it's just like recruiting for us. If we watch a kid live two or three times and he does not perform, typically you're moving on to the next kid. Right. So uh, Nimi gets there and his body's not where it should be. And the first matchup he has is against Taco Fall. And Taco is the largest human being I've ever seen. Like I was standing next to him before they played and I just could not believe how big he was. And I worked with the bigs um, my entire life. Like, you know, back to AAU days when I coached with Wisconsin playground, we had a guy named Cole Aldrich that played for us who actually played for Kansas. Mm -hmm. So I got to coach him and he's a large human being too. But Taco, I mean, you just can't believe how big he is. So Nimi goes against him and gets his butt kicked. Right. And, so he knows he's got to come back. Well, that summer, he went and played for the U-20 Portugal team, the national team, because the tournament was in Portugal. And in the semifinal, he kind of partially tears a ligament in his knee. Yeah. And so he didn't play much of the, the second season for us. Kind of got back to maybe 80% by the end of the second season. Knew he was going to come back and play one more year. And he had a fantastic year. I, I mean, he just – he was moving really well. His body looked good. Um, you know, and at – you could just tell like it's time for him to make that next step. So he's a, he's an unbelievable human being, a tremendous leader. Um, and I couldn't be more proud of him. And, you know, like he was down here, we, we kind of um, saw him off last Thursday. He went back to Portugal for a couple of weeks to see his family and he's going to come back and he'll be at P3 out in um, Santa Barbara working out, um, you know, with his agents getting ready for the draft. But what an unbelievable process, you know, like we always tell people it's easy to take a five-star kid have him for a year and now he's an NBA player, right? You might not have to even do anything with that kid where we're big on recruiting players that we can develop and have in our program for a while and, you know, just develop those kids into the player that you want them to be. And, and that's kind of how we, we approach Nimi. He didn't have much out of high school. I, there wasn't one other school that really wanted to take him. And one of the things I looked at was I watched film from um, a year ago. So this was three years ago. So, you know, he was 17. Then I watched six months before that. Then I watched this current film and you could see the trajectory that Nimi was climbing. And I'm just like, we want that dude in our program. We want guys that are not done getting better, that have their best basketball ahead of them. And that was kind of the story with them. And that is also the prime example of finding the diamond in the rough, right? Where you were just saying nobody else really offered him. And now he's he's going to the NBA. And also, you guys with the Aggies are going to have two straight draft picks, which hasn't happened in a very long time, if at all, up at Utah State. But as, as far as back on that combine, 
someone who within the Utes from the old coaching staff was Kyle Kuzma, who had that that similar experience, but he didn't have to go up against Taco Fall in that combine <laughs> um, because Kyle ended up leaving after his junior year. And we were all like, okay, why is he leaving? But he worked his butt off leading up to the combine, had such a great in that scrimmage on that first day, ended up playing so well that he said, I'm done after that. And he ended up being a first round pick. And now he's a role player for an NBA title team. And so just to kind of see that, it's kind of a nice, unique angle of of what the combine is really like, because we all think of it kind of like the NFL combine, where you're just kind of, if you have a a bad first impression, it's not going to make or break you. But in the NBA, it's a little bit different. It's very different. Um, And you see that every single year with kids that maybe come out too early and go there. And now now they don't even get drafted the year after that. But we've we've been fortunate. you know, with Sam Merrill too at Utah State. You know, he was a he was a good player when we got there, and I would say some players just kind of take off the right system. And yeah. you know, we had a, we had a kid that you know everybody thought was our best player. His name was Kobe McEwen, very good player, and um, he ended up leaving. And honestly, it, it, Sam just kind of took off after that and became Mountain West Player of the Year in his first year. And um, you know, like certain guys fit how we play. There's a there's a guy that we coach at South Dakota named Matt Mooney. Matt was an all-league oh, player yeah. for Texas a game. Tech guy. Yes, and he transferred to Texas Tech and played in the national title game against Marco Anthony, who we just signed here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so guys like Matt Mooney, guys like Sam Merrill, and now we have a guy like Pella Larson here in our program that's very similar to those two guys. I think players like that that really understand the game, um, have a high IQ, can pass it, and, and are skilled are only going to get better under Craig. Speaking of Marco Anthony, you guys bring him in, and and he, he's a guy who can really bolster the backcourt with his defense, his ball handling skills. How hard was it to get him to come to, to Utah when he went into the portal? Yeah, so um, I, there was a lot of schools that reached out to him, like high, high-level schools. And I won't name the schools, but he just like, Coach, you know, there's five or six schools that are just on me every single day. And I was like, Marco, we're, you know, the hardest thing when you get hired is trying to figure out your personnel, right? So how do you do that? you get in the gym and you work them out every single day. And that's what we, not every day within NCA rules. Right. So I think we were going four days a week uh, for the first three weeks. And I just said, Marco, we got to figure out what we have in our program first before we know what we're going to take. So he was maybe a little impatient that way. Um, but, you know, after a couple of weeks, you know, we saw we needed a lockdown defender and there was games this year at Utah state where the other team's best player didn't even want to play. Like they were like, just take me out of the game. Or you could tell they were so frustrated. They could not do anything. And Marco was that guy that you could count on every single night to guard the other team's best player. Um, If you see him, he looks like a linebacker, like he's stuck together. He's thick. Um, You know, one of the reasons we took him at, at Utah state, we had actually recruited him out of high school at South Dakota. And I've recruited Texas for um, probably about seven or eight years. And he didn't have any like, major interest at that time and we were recruiting like hey we're gonna get this kid and then he goes to the peach jam which is a high profile high level tournament out in in south carolina has a good game iowa state offers him virginia offers him he commits the next tuesday so that's kind of how you got to do it at that level you got to recruit those kids until they get the offers so marco goes to virginia and you know they they value defense there right um that's that's a main emphasis of their program and when he decided to transfer, it, it was a no-brainer. You know, he actually he hit me up first before I could even 
hit him up and said, coach, hey, uh, do you need a guard? And that's how the process started. So uh, we, you know, we signed him at Utah State. He redshirted for a year. And we thought, hey, you know, Sam was leaving. We bring in Marco to kind of sort of fill that void. And he, he was a very good player for us last year, let us in minutes played, I think, and just guarded the other team's best player every single night. So I think Ute fans are really going to enjoy watching him play. So you guys end up bringing in a veteran-type guard, but then you guys also bring in a guy who, who was your guys' starting point guard for a team that went to the NCAA tournament in, in Raleigh Worcester. What does he bring to, your, to this program from what he did up at Utah State? Yeah, R- Raleigh, Raleigh's a different dude now. Like he is, he is a little bit crustier. Um, he loves to play defense. Um, he kind of just made our team go. And I, I don't think a lot of people realize this, but he, he had a stress fracture in his foot and had to sit a bunch of games late. And if he didn't have to do that, he probably would have been Mountain West freshman of the year. And so, you know, when he came back, he was on some minute restrictions and his stats went down. And a lot of that, too, is just he would have had better stats on a, on a winning team. So I really think he could have got freshman of the year in the Mountain West if he didn't get hurt. But Raleigh's just he's a he provides a calming effect on our team just because he always makes the right play. He doesn't turn it over. Um, he's always making to look that or making to uh, looking to make that extra pass. And um, he just, he's kind of steady Eddie. Um, He knows he's got to get better at some things, but to have a kid like that for four years that already knows your system, um, that is tough that, you know, Marco guarded our best player, uh, the other team's best player and Raleigh guarded the next best player on that, on that team. So um, you got two really strong defenders that play well together that know they really know our stuff. So Raleigh will be a tremendous asset to our program. What was your time at Utah State? What did that mean to you through your your coaching career? Because I know everybody has, you know, different journeys and things like that. But for what you guys were able to do out there was simply amazing. Yeah, honestly, I think I grew a ton as a coach. Um, And that's part of the business. You got to keep growing and getting better. And, you know, every every stop that you make is a little bit different. Right. You got to recruit a little different player. You got to recruit a little different area. But, um, you know, I think I got a lot better as a coach. Um, Logan's a special place. The fans are tremendous. Um, we brought the spectrum magic back where those students came out, you know, when we first got hired, there were some people in the stands and then we just kept winning and winning. And by the end of that thing, um, obviously this year was different with COVID, but, um, by the end of that thing, you know, we, we had beat Nevada our first year, the last game of the year, and you couldn't even hear yourself talk to the assistant right next to you. Um, so, I mean, I, it was just a tremendous experience. My family loved living in Logan, a great place to raise a family. I have four kids. Um, our administration was top notch there. Um, they were tremendous. And we just had a lot of support from the community and our administration and then just tremendous fans too. So unbelievable experience. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, and like I said, I think I grew a lot as a coach as well. Well, I'll tell you what, my wife is an Aggie. She graduated from there. And uh, I mean, I didn't graduate there, but she wasn't very happy with you and Craig. <laughs> when you guys chose to come down to Utah, but I'm like, I cover the youth. So if they do well, I do well as far as my coverage. So let's, let's be happy about this. But uh, no, she was, she was really pleased to see because she was there. It was towards the end of a uh, student morals time there. And so they okay. had, they had some really good teams there too. So that was a lot of fun because I was able to go to, to some games when uh, she was going up there and, and really you guys ended up bringing the spectrum back to what it was or even better back when, when Stu was the head coach there. Yeah, that, it, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I, we could talk for hours about my experience at Utah State. Um, I loved it. 
Um, but I, they're in good hands now. One more thing, and then we'll, we'll get over to the uh, the uh, schedule, which is what yes. I'm sure a lot of people want to get to. Um, Brandon Carlson, he's a guy who has a ton of potential, um, was a guy who was a big-time you know, prospect, seven-footer, coming off of his mission. He had some really great games as far as blocking shots and all that, but the, but the one thing that the old coaching staff was always saying is that he needed to put on weight, and it sounds like that that's been more of a challenge for him at least over the last couple of years, then a lot easier said than, than done, I guess, if you will. What is that ceiling with, with Brandon Carlson, especially for a guy who, who uh, works with the bigs? Yeah, so I've had a chance to work him out for three weeks. The first week that we got here, he was, he was on vacation with his family, so he wasn't here. Um, but, you know, we talked to him right away, and, and I think Coach Smith just said, listen, this is, I'm not going to keep bringing this up about your weight. Like, we both know – like you have to get stronger. You have to put weight on uh, to get to where you want to go in your career as well and to take us to where we want to go. So it was just kind of one conversation about that. And when you hire a really good strength coach like Coach Ogden, who we've been with for a long time and we trust, like we know it's going to happen. I mean, there's no possible way it's not going to happen um, with him. So we feel comfortable with it. We think he's going to get bigger, faster, stronger. That's what he does. That's why he's here. Um, you know, and I told him when I met with him for the first time, you know, I watch you play. You can shoot it, right? Um, he was a very good rim roller off a screener roll where he could catch and finish and screener roll. In the the part that he was missing was just scoring with his back to the basket at a high level. And part of that is if you if if you're not strong, it's hard to sit in the post down there and just demand the ball and score down there, right? Because you got to have a a good base to just you know, put your body into people and seal people. And I said, that is the hole in your game right now. And if you get that piece, like you have a chance to, to, to be an unbelievable professional basketball player, no matter what level you're playing at. So, um, and honestly, he's so skilled. We've been working him out a little bit with the guards as well to see, Hey, can we, can we play him and go big, big where he's maybe a four or another big, you know, plays the four, however we do it. And, um, you know, we compare it to a, a situation where we got to Logan and we, our starting five man was Quinn Taylor. And he started the year before and we brought in Namish. And, you know, Quinn ended up being our starting four man and Namish was our starting five. So uh, we're looking at all different options with him. You know, he's super skilled. He's determined. He wants to be in the gym. He wants to get better. Um, he's married. His wife just got into law school here. Um, so he's pretty committed to doing this thing and getting better as a basketball player. And I've, I've loved working with him and he has tremendous, tremendous upside. There's a question coming in here on Twitter. Um, and it's actually a very good question. What is the biggest need you guys are, are looking to address within the roster as far as scholarships you guys have left? Cause you guys have really bolstered your guys' guard play via the portal. What are some of the needs you guys are looking to address this season coming in as far as filling out the roster? Yeah, I think, you know, we, I think we have two scholarships left and the biggest thing we need is some interior players. Um, part of what's made us good is having rim protection. Uh, Namiyash was a great rim protector. Um, and then just having guys that can rebound at the four and five spot, um, you know, to be, to get to where we want to go, we have to be elite defensively. We've been, you know, we were probably a top 50 team at South Dakota defensively. This past year, we were a top 10 team in the country defensively at Utah State. And that's one thing you can count on every single night is defending, right? Defending um, the offense. It, it's 
whatever, you know, on the road, sometimes you might not be making shots, but if you can defend, you can put yourself in a situation to win a lot of games. So by getting some interior players, I think that'll really help with, with the rebounding piece. We've always been a very good rebounding team and just defending. All right. We're going to get to what everyone is, is hoping for. Are you ready to announce any home and homes, any MTEs, any, any scheduling news do you have for our people this morning? Okay. So um, bear of bad news. I don't have anything I can tell you right now. Um, the problem is when you, when you schedule a team, it takes a little bit of time to, for the paperwork, like you get to send it off. Right. And then they have to sign it. Then we have to get it back and there's going to be a bunch of signatures. So we have a, we have a couple home games um, that'll be on the schedule very shortly. Um, we're still working through our MTE. Um, same deal. Like the MTE stuff is like musical chairs, right? Um, there's probably 10 very good MTEs out there that we've looked at and all of them are kind of using other teams. Like, Hey, if we get Utah in this tournament, will you, will you join our tournament? And, you know, Craig has always been big on taking a trip somewhere with our MTEs. You know, I know some people play home MTEs, so they don't have to travel. Um, you know, our first year at Utah state, we were in Las Vegas. Um, we, we were in the Jamaica classic, um, two years ago and beat LSU and then beat North Texas to win that thing. And then uh, we were supposed to go to Myrtle beach last year. And with COVID it got, the tournament got canceled. We ended up going to the Pentagon in South Dakota and played in a, in a very good tournament, which was supposed to be the battle of Atlantis. I think Utah was supposed to be in that tournament. They were in it, but then they ended up pulling out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we've always tried to schedule very good MTEs and typically they're places that fans want to travel to, to, to watch us play. Um, and I know we got youth fans all, all across the country. So um, I think we're getting really close on that. Um, like I said, you know, you can decide on an MTE and it might take 14 days for the paperwork to go through before we can announce anything. So um, we're really close. We're one of the last high major schools probably looking for an MTE. So I think we have a um, we, we can basically choose any MTE we want is what I'm trying to say. So everybody wants us in their stuff. Um, but we're always going to play good teams. You know, Craig's talked about this, you know. Um, we're trying to play the best teams because there is a formula that you have to follow. So if you do not win the league, you still put yourself in a great position to make the NCAA tournament. And that's one thing we did at Utah state, um, you know, year two or in three, um, you know, we ended up winning the tournament year two, but if we didn't, I thought we were in really good shape to make the NCAA tournament. And obviously we lost in the championship game this year um, and still made it. Um, So we're working with that. There's a, you know, a formula that we have to follow. So we want to play really good teams. But the other part is we found since South Dakota and Utah State is they have to want to play us too. And Craig's a very good coach. I think our teams are really well prepared. And so there's a lot of teams that just say, ah, I don't want to play those dudes. Like the way we play, the tough guys that we have, you play them one time, they're like, no, never again. We're not scheduling those guys. So that's been a little bit of a battle that way. Um, You know, but there's, there's plenty of teams out there, and we're going to put a very, very competitive schedule together. A couple of uh, follow-ups with that. As far as the tournaments go, do you guys kind of look at, okay, these teams are in it. Do you kind of look at how like the matchups could potentially go when you guys are looking at which tournaments to go to? You have to. I mean, you have to just so you can, you know, you don't want any mystery stuff with your schedule as far as um, when you're trying to put that thing together to get the net that you want to get at the end of the year. So, you know, if there's an eight team tournament and we're playing in it, there better be, you know, five to six very good teams that you think you could play in that tournament. And, and it doesn't always work out how you want it to work out, but you have to kind of, you have to patrol that a little bit and see, okay, we want to play this team the first round. And then 
hey, if we if we win, yes, there's a very good chance we're going to play another high major team. So um, we have to do our job a little bit. Um, but I think, you know, just looking at some of that stuff in advance can really, really help you. And then you also said you guys are working on some home and home stuff. When can fans, is there a timeline to maybe some of those games being announced, uh, you know, about uh, how, how, how far out? Yeah, I don't want you to hold it, hold this to me, but, um, you know, I would say in the next couple of weeks, you'll, it'll start coming out a little bit. Um, you know, we're working on, we want to do home and homes. We want to do some neutral games with high major teams. We want to get really good teams to play us here. Um, and that stuff just takes a little bit of time because, you know, both schools are kind of going through the same thing. We're trying to do our formula and they're trying to do theirs. And it's different, you know, whether you play a team at home or on the road, it changes things as far as what quadrant it's in. Um, there's, there's a quadrant system in NCAA basketball, quad one, two, three, and four. Um, so it just changes if you're at home or on the road. So that's a, that's another piece to it. But I would say, you know, stuff will start trickling out in the next couple of weeks. Um, once those contracts are signed and hopefully we can get, we're still working on our opener. I think it's November 9th. Hopefully we can get a good team in here for our opener as well. And just kind of get that excitement back. Um, I know it's been a tough year with fans not being able to go to games. So, um, yeah, like coach says, we want to get that curtain removed and we want to pack that thing. Uh, one last thing on, on, on scheduling. Then I have one more question. I hope John doesn't get mad at me about the, about having you longer. And I really do appreciate it. I asked Craig this a couple of weeks ago when, when I had him on, but that was a couple of weeks ago. And you're also heavily involved in that schedule. Are you guys willing to play the Aggies? Yeah, I think Craig's open to it. I think he's very open to it. Um, you know, we Craig and I ha- haven't really had any discussions about it since I've been here. But I know publicly he's talked about it. Um, I think a lot of it depends on what their schedule looks like and then what ours looks like. And if if we can make that fit with with our formula um, at the end of the day, too. So um, no, it'd be it'd be fun, obviously. Logan's a great place. Um, it's a tough place to play, but we've always played in-state teams. If you look at our schedule at Utah State, like we played almost every in-state team other than Utah, really. So yeah. uh, we were supposed to play Dixie State last year, and that game um, I think got canceled with COVID. Mm-hmm. Our team was going through some COVID stuff. So Craig's Craig's big on playing in-state teams. You can't play them all, right? But you got to play. You got to kind of figure your schedule out and play the right ones. And, you know, the reason why I asked that is because the last time Utah and Utah State played was in that neutral Beehive Classic game yeah. um, where you had to play everybody in, in that Classic, and that was it uh, since 2010. And so yeah. it's been a while. That I think that was the year before we got to Utah State. I was watching mm-hmm. film, and um, I think I watched that game. So that would, that would probably be the last time. Final thing, can you kind of walk us through the off-season workout plan of what the NCAA allows as far as hands-on with the players. Yeah, so we just got done yesterday um, with our workouts. I've been here four weeks, and we've worked out for four weeks. Um, you know, and the NCAA makes you stop around finals time to give the kids time to study for their tests and just focus on their academics. So we're done until, you know, June. I think the, the first week of June will bring the guys back. But they can always come in voluntarily and lift with our strength coach. That's that's an NCAA deal because it's a safety thing, right? So if they want to come in and work out, our strength coach can be in there just to supervise them and make sure they're not getting hurt. Um, and then so we'll start. We get eight weeks from the summer. And I think you get more if you do a foreign tour. We're not doing a foreign tour this year with COVID and all that stuff. Um, but we get eight weeks. We get eight hours a week. Uh, four hours can be basketball. Four hours can be strength conditioning in different Weeks will change stuff up. They might have a little bit more basketball some week, some weeks, a um, little more strength conditioning the other weeks. So um, we'll, we'll work out for, you know, right, 
around the 4th of July, we'll probably give them a week off if they want to, you know, see their families around the 4th. And then we'll get after it another four weeks after the, the 4th of July. And then they'll have maybe a couple of weeks where they can go home and see their families before school starts. And once school starts, we're right into it. So, um, no, I look forward to obviously getting our players better this summer. Skill development's a huge deal. You're talking to the, the team. Um, I think they did a lot of team stuff with the last staff, which is, you know, every staff does things differently. We're, we're more, you know, in the off season, uh, skill development, individual workouts, just getting in the gym in small groups and just breaking stuff down, whether it's footwork, uh, whether it's just, you know, um, some shooting stuff, whatever, guarding ball screens, just little things like that, that we can transfer over and relate to the team stuff when we get there. So look, really looking forward to getting in the gym with our guys this summer. It's actually been a lot of fun getting to know you. I've heard great things about you, but it, you know, it's, it's nice to finally get to know you, meet you, and hopefully we'll, we'll be able to do this down the line. I really do appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to join me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And um, the feelings are mutual and look forward to getting to know you better. And, um, you know, it's, it's a long process until November, but we'll get there. So stick with us. Um, there'll be obviously news coming out, you know, throughout the spring and summer about the schedule and, and more recruits. So uh, we're excited to be here and uh, go Utes. There you go. All the fans out there, schedules will be coming out soon. Just give him time. He's trying to work his magic. And that is Utah assistant coach Eric Peterson here on the KSL Sports front page. It's powered by kslsports.com. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.